If you didn't get a chance, if you weren't here last week and you didn't get a chance to see the message from last week, it was called Light It Up. And uh, you can go, um, there's, there's, there's knockoff versions of it on the internet that people are, have, have renamed Get Lit, but we don't believe that at all. So, um, but you can go check that out on our Facebook page. It's also on um, our, um, our website, harvestsarasota.com. And so you, you can grab that. If you don't follow us on Instagram or Facebook or Harvest, um, uh, or ever go to our website, we'd love for you to do that too. It's Harvest Sarasota, both Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, I'm going to tackle something this morning and I'm going to have to do it quickly because we've been praying and doing all sorts of stuff that we, we knew the Spirit of God wanted us to do. And I want to be done pretty close to 11 o'clock um, here. Um, so our service is about an hour long. But I want to tackle something that drives me crazy. Is that all right? Drives me crazy. Um, we consider ourselves a, some people would consider ourselves, consider us like this, you know, full grace church. Um, and a lot of times people like to put labels on faith or religion or churches because they want to put you in a box and they want to be able to predict, you know, what you feel about certain things. And if there's anything you need to know about Harvest is we're unpredictable. Come on. If you think you know how a service is going to go, you're going to find out you don't know how a service, I don't know how a service is going to go. We have a plan, but it always, you know, like Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? <laughs> the Spirit of God comes down. It's like, oh, that's cute. We're going to do something a little different this morning. And we just go with it. Well, um, we're unpredictable, but we are predictable about one thing. And that is that the center of our theology and faith and mission here is about Jesus, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Everything that we preach, teach, communicate through word or song is about and central around Jesus. If it doesn't come back to Jesus, and last week our message uh, together that lighted up message was about this idea that the word is not the scriptures. The word is Jesus. And it was there before the beginning of time. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And then God manifest his son through and in the, the flesh and left us with the scriptures, but the scriptures testify to the word. Do you hear what I'm saying? They testify of him. So if we read something and we're not reading it through the lens of how this testifies to who Jesus is, we're missing the context or the point. Does that make sense? Everything has to be filtered through that. And so as we, uh, every once in a while, I feel like we need a little tune-up on the idea of who we are as a church when it comes to the rest of humanity out there. And I want to say this right now. We... Uh, I was watching a video this week. My mom shared it on Facebook. It was of Mark Lowry, who was with a Gaither vocal band for a long time and ran in fairly conservative, um, very conservative groups of, of, or, and denominations, you know, Southern Baptist and, and, and uh, groups that, that a lot of them, you know, Methodists and people that just have a lot of differing opinions of each other. And he got up in a group of people. It was about a 10-minute video. Um, and I'll share it maybe to my Facebook today. But it was so great what he said because he said, the grace of God, now he's, he's become way more progressive in his thought than he had been for years. Um, he grew up, you know, Baptist and, 
and there's, we love Baptists, amen? We love, we love everybody. Whether you love Jesus or not, you're cool with us, right? Because you're, you're one of his children. But uh, he grew up Baptist and very conservative. And he said, I, I took a year off and I started reading the red letters in the Bible. How many of y'all ever read the red, the red letters, the red type in the Bible? If you have a red letter, people are like, my Bible has no red letters. Well, if you're a red letter Bible, it means, for those of you that don't know, it means the words that Jesus actually said. And we believe that the theology of Jesus is perfect. And he said this, he's like, when it comes to grace, God is like a four-year-old with peanut butter. He just gets it all over the place and it sticks to everything. <laughs> How many of you have ever given a jar of peanut butter to a four-year-old? You know what I mean? It's messy. It's hard to clean up. It's hard to figure out. And people don't like that because we like things neat. How many of you are a little OCD and willing to admit it in public? Now, if your OCD is tied into that as is, is, um, admitting things in public, then we're not going to find out, are we? Some of y'all figure that out later. But this is the message of our church in a nutshell. It is what we find in Revelation 22. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. He says, Jesus is saying, listen, I am the one they talked about. I was the one that they were waiting for. I am the descendant of David. I'm who the prophets talked about. I am the bright and morning star. I have come. And he's setting this up because he's establishing his credibility in this scripture. And then with that credibility, he says, now I'm gonna tell you something that you need to know. And this needs to be everything you need to know when you are deciding how you're gonna journey here on the earth with the rest of the world. He sets us up. He says, here's who I am. Here's what, what, what the spirit and the bride are saying. And then he finishes it up in verse 18 and we'll read that. And he says, don't alter a single word of this. So let me read that to you. Verse 17, Jesus says this. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. No, I'm not a doomsday preacher. But I think we can, at the very bare minimum, take into account what Jesus is saying here as to be pretty serious when he says, don't add anything to this. The hardest thing that you and I are going to have as believers is adding to the simplicity of what the gospel is all about. We just feel like we get to a point where it has to be more complicated than this. So we wanna add bricks on top of something that's already been built and a beautiful foundation and a beautiful, there's the roof is there and everything's there. Why do we have to add something to it? It's really that simple. The spirit of God and the bride, which is the church, declare over humanity that all who will, whosoever will, all that are thirsty, come and drink of the water of life. Amen. I'm going to make fun of you now. Amen. Until I march somebody in here that doesn't look like you, act like you, talk like you, or vote like you. No, not you. I like your amen. Your amen's good. You can amen me all day. I like your amen. But then all of a sudden we're like, well, most of them are having 
Did you? I heard that he's, she's flying this flag and doing this, and he's got this going on. And have you seen his Facebook and NRA this and Antifa that? Whosoever will let them come, no matter where they are, if they are thirsty, they can come drink of the water. There are no qualifiers. There are no requirements. You know what the requirements are? Come. Come. If you're thirsty, come on. If you need this, come on. I don't care black, white, poor, rich. Come on. I don't care where you come from. Come on. Come. Bring yourself. You can be just as smart and together or confused as anybody. Come. Come drink of the water, of the spirit of life. Come on. Come on. Come, 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 come. Let's go. And that scares us because we want to add something to it. We want to qualify it. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I respect greatly, he was a, he was a, a theologian in Germany, in Nazi Germany. He actually ended up getting hang, hung um, and killed, martyred, um, just, I think, weeks or months before the liberation, before the war ended. And he said something that to this day I, I cringe at because now this has become a, 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 a really just a, something that's thrown around and it's nasty he said this in his book of The Cost of Discipleship. He said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. He, he, he threw out this term cheap grace, and I can break down what he was trying to say there and get you to understand he wasn't knocking necessarily anything. But we don't, we don't actually read the rest of what he's saying here or the fact that he was speaking about it in the context of what he was basically saying is he's saying, hey, it's not just enough to get them saved. You need to spend the time to build relationship and disciple them. The, the whole premise of his book is that discipling people costs you something. Saying a quick little prayer and people coming up here and crying and saying, I'm a bad boy or a bad girl and receiving Jesus, that's easy. That takes five minutes. But actually walking with somebody through their mistakes and through their trials and through their speed bumps and road bumps and brick walls they hit and over mountains and through valleys and holding their hand and saying, I'm with you because you're with me, that cost you something. And that's what he's talking about here. But the modern church has taken this statement from Dietrich Bonhoeffer and labeled anyone who preaches a whosoever will let them come message as cheap grace. The problem is, is there's two ways to look at grace. Neither one of them are that it's cheap. It's free to you, but it costs him everything. You see, free is less than cheap. You can buy a cheap car, but if they give it to you free, guess what? Free is better than cheap, right? And cost me everything is not cheap either. It cost Jesus his life so that he could give it abundantly to you and I free. And this scripture, if we go into this scripture in Revelations, and I'm going to read you something that just blew my mind. But if you go into the scripture in Revelations, you'll see that it's literally... God is trying to wrap up all of creation, the entire world, the entire universe, the spirit and the bride. Everything together is groaning the same thing. Come, 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 come. And I am so sick and tired of arguing with people or having ought with people because they think that this message is too liberal or they think this message is too inclusive or they think this message is too, too you know, whatever. At the end of the day, I want to be the one on the side with the girl that was caught in adultery. I want to be 
on the, with a woman at the well where I look at her in the eyes and say, have you been married five times? And she says, yes. And I said, that's okay. I want to be the one that when I get around the religious guys, they say, why are you talking to that woman over there? I want to be the one. Come on, I want to be a church that, is, that, that throws our robe on and says to the prodigal son, you will come on in. We're going to throw you a party. You don't even got to tell us what happened. I want to be on the side of grace every single time. Every time I want to be on the side of grace. Pastor Dan, you're, you're tickling the ears of people. No, I am not tickling the ears. Once again, that's another scripture that we have totally messed up. The, the, what he was talking about when that scripture was written was not the grace message. Tickling the ears during that culture and time was because what they knew and what they were comfortable with was the law. Grace was something new and totally blew wide open thousands of years of culture and religion. It wasn't happy. Think about today, if we sat down with you, we said, you're Christmas, you're this, you're that, the house you live in, the way that you worship, everything is wrong. How happy and tickled are your ears going to feel? Come on, let's just use common sense here. The tickling of the ears was not not the idea that they were saying, go do whatever you want. The tickling of the ears was that they were trying to run back to what they knew, which was the law, which was the rules and regulations, not just the rules and regulations, because all of us need guidelines, some of us more than others. But it was the idea that if you didn't get it right, that God canceled his deal with you or that you could earn his affection or earn what Jesus had did by doing the right things. That's what we're talking about here. If I tie a couple on in the back before I leave here and crash my car and get a DUI, how many of you know I've got some, some payment coming? Right? I, I got some issues. How many of you know that five minutes before and five minutes after my standing with God is the same? And we can't handle that. The title of this message, are you ready for this? You ready for this? Nah, you'll just have to look online. The titleless message is not cheap grace, and the titleless message is not sloppy grace, and the titleless message is not, there's no such thing as cheap grace, and the titleless message is not free grace. The titleless message is vulgar grace because it's the only way to describe his grace. There's an Episcopal priest who was a brilliant theologian and writer, and he described it that way. He said, it's vulgar. And if you can get, you and I can get our minds wrapped around that this will never feel right and make sense to us. It's just like, what? I'm going to read something to you, but before that, everyone's like, he said vulgar. We're not talking about perverted. We're not talking about, vulgar means more than that, Right? You know what? I'm going to just look it up for you. Somebody look up the definition of vulgar so folks don't get us all mixed up in here. Vulgar definition. Go. Lacking sophistication or good taste. Does that help you? His grace is, is distasteful and it lacks sophistication. It doesn't appeal to us. It's not packaged pretty. It's messy. It's icky. It's gooey. It's all over the place. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to have any fairness to it. It's not sophisticated. It's not polished. It's just there and available to all who will come. It is vulgar. It doesn't make sense. 
Amen? Uh, you got past that one. The rest is easy. If you can get past the title, you're good. Second Corinthians 12, nine says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Ephesians 2, eight through nine. This is the fast part I told you about, Stephen. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Come on, point to yourself and say, you didn't do it. It is the gift of God not a result of works so that one may boast. I'm just doing this so you guys don't think I've lost my mind. Romans 6, 14, for sin has no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans eleven six. but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. James 4, 6, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Another version of that says his gift of grace is in direct opposition to the vanity of the proud mindset of self-effort, whereby people strive to prove themselves as superior to others. Gift and reward are opposites. Humility attracts grace. Gift and reward are opposites. You can't earn a gift. It is a gift. If you earn something that you receive, it is a reward. Jesus is not our reward. He is our gift. Grace is not our reward. It is our gift. It's good preaching, Dan. You're doing a good job. They like this. They're smiling underneath those masks. John 1, 16, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. I love James 6 says he gives more grace. So it's like we get, we get like a comprehension of it. We're like, this seems a little bit much, but okay, I think I'm starting to wrap my mind about it. He's like, and bam, here's another load. Let me introduce somebody else into your life who I'm actually inviting in and saying, come. Do you realize that when the sheet fell, with Peter. I have so much to say in so little time, so I'm going to talk fast. When the sheet fell with Peter and he had that vision that a pork chop had never touched his lips. You know, like that's wrong. And the Lord said to him, hey, here's some animals you haven't eaten. Go kill and eat. And set Peter up to realize that God was getting ready to send him to some places where he'd have to do some things that were outside of his cultural reference. And the Bible says that he was sent to his own people and his people received him not, thank God. Because you and I were the outsiders. Ooh, come on. You and I were the outcasts. You and I were the throwaways. We were the ones that were left on the outside of the gate. And because of Peter's obedience, because Peter had this vision and realized that there are people, there are sheep I don't know about. There's people that are out there that God is including that I don't know about. And I've got to go get them and gather them and say, come in. Because of Peter's obedience, you and I are in. And 2,000 years later, we're standing at the gate and doing the same thing that was done to us. And we're saying, you got to stay out there because you don't look like me. Come on. And whether you've been addicted, whether you've been divorced, whether you've been a mess your entire life, no matter what you've done, who you've done it with, no matter how you identify yourself, I don't care if you're gender fluid. I don't care what it is you've got going on. I'm going to tell you right now, the invitation is the same for you to come and to drink of the waters of living life, of life. Come on, it's the same. Amen? I'm going to read this to you. There's more, but I'm going to read this to you. This sums it up, and I'll end with this. How many of you have ever read any of Brennan Manning's stuff? Wow, he's super popular here. Oh, good. 
let me introduce you to Brendan Manning. He wrote a book, wrote many books, but one of his books is really his, the uh, biography of his life. He, he, he wrote, it's called All is Grace. And I spent time early this morning because I thought I'm going to paraphrase this and I'm going to give him credit, but he wrote it so well that I decided to literally transcribe it. You're welcome. Scream out an hour, six o'clock this morning, but I want to read it to you exactly the way he wrote it. He said, scripture is full of ragamuffins. No doubt for the reason, Jim, you can come if you're here. No doubt for the reason he doesn't appear to be a ragamuffin at first sight. His exploits were heroic, the stuff of legends. But stretching my mind, I look deeper. I have seen his rags. His name was Samson. He was the long-haired strongman who took Nazarite vows the last of the Old Testament judges, the warrior that slew a lion with his bare hands and a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. But his storied life ended in a prison. His hair shaved, his eyes gouged out, weak, blind, and dependent, a little more than a child. In one final mockery, the great Samson was chained between twin temple pillars at the feast of the god Dagon for the amusement of the people. But not everything was as it appeared. Had the Philistines that assembled on that day looked a little closer, they would have noticed a lengthening shadow on this ragamuffin's head. His hair had begun to grow back and therefore his strength. In one final witness to the God of Israel, Samson seized the change and he pulled and he brought the house down literally. And this is this author speaking. He said, with the strength I have left, and I want to say it for myself, I want to grab the chains and pull one last time. My hope has always been to point to the God too good to be true, my Abba. I have no delusions of heroically bringing down the house of fear that imprisons so many, but my desire is to witness nothing else. My message has been unchanged for 50 years. It is this, God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be because not one of us is as we should be. It is the message of grace. It is the life-shattering gift that my heart experienced February of 1956. And it is the life-sustaining gift that I remain broken by now, February of 2011. Some have labeled my message one of cheap grace. And in my younger days, which apparently I'm still in, and you'll find out why, their accusations were a gauntlet thrown down a challenge, but I'm an old man now and I don't care. My friend, Mike Yarkinelli used the phrase unfair grace. And I like that, but I've come across another that I want to leave you with. And I believe Mike would like it too. I know I do. I found it in the writings of an Episcopal priest. He called it vulgar grace. In Jesus, God has put up a gone fishing sign on religion's shop. He has done the whole job in Jesus once and for all. 
and He simply invited us to believe it. No fasting till your knees fold. No prayers that you have to get right or else. No standing on your head with your right thumb and your left ear and reciting the correct creed. No nothing. The entire show has been set to rights in the mystery of Christ, even though nobody can see a single improvement. Yes, it's crazy. Yes, it's wild and it's outrageous and it's vulgar. And any God who would do such a thing has no taste. And worst of all, it doesn't sell worth beans. I have witnessed that, brother. <laughs> but it's good news. And it's the only permanent good news that there is. And therefore, I find it absolutely captivating. My life is a witness to vulgar grace, a grace that amazes us as it offends, a grace that pays the eager beaver that works all day, the same as the drunk who shows up 10 till 5. A grace that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck towards the prodigal reeking of sin and wraps him up and decides to throw a party. No ifs, ands, or buts. A grace that raises bloodshot eyes to a dying thief's request. Please remember me and assures him, you bet. A grace that is the pleasure of the Father fleshed out in the carpenter Jesus Christ who left his Father's side not for heaven's sake, but for our sakes, yours and mine. This vulgar grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without anything of us. It's not cheap, it's free. And as such, it will always be a banana peel for the orthodox foot and a fairy tale for grown-up sensibility. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might and we try to find something or someone that it cannot cover. Grace is enough, he is enough, and Jesus is enough. John, the disciple that loved Jesus, ended his first letter with this line. He said, children, be on your guard against false gods. In other words, steer clear of any God you can comprehend. Abba's love cannot be comprehended. And I'll say it again. Abba's love, the Father's love, cannot be comprehended. That sums it up. You can stand to your feet. I want to tell you right now that everything going on in the earth, the time to be tame is over. Come on. Come on. There's times to be gentle as a lamb and there's time to roar like the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I'm telling you right now, it's, it's time to roar. Not roar with earthly nonsense that many of us are roaring with now, it's time to roar with one thing. Where there is a life and it is hurting, where there is a heart that needs grace and hope, where there is somebody who's been cast aside, kicked aside, ostracized, labeled, kicked away, told that they're no good, told that they'll never be anything, I'm telling you right now, it is time to roar 
with justice that our God has said from the beginning of time to the end of the scriptures and is still saying today, whoever is thirsty can come. And so I am sick and tired. I'm gonna tell you this, I'm gonna end. I promise you, I'm trying. But I'm sick and tired of this hate the sin, love the sinner stuff. How about you hate your own sin and just love one another? Hating my sin's a full-time job. How about you just hate your own sin and love one another and let's throw open both doors in the back and say, come on in. Bring your mess, bring your shame, bring your trauma, bring whatever you've got to the feet of Jesus because his grace is sufficient and the gift is waiting for you. Come on, do you believe it with me? It is time that we roar with the justice of the great line of the tribe of Judah and we say enough is enough. Yeah, enough is enough. I'm going to tell you this right now. We church, we are not fooling around anymore. We are not messing with things. I will teach lots of things and preach lots of things that make you and I feel good. But there's going to be some times where I'm going to say something and say, we've got to wake ourselves up. We are being fooled in so many ways I won't even get into this morning. We've got to wake up and realize that God has called us to something greater than what we see here on the earth. Come on. So the next two weeks, get over whatever is going on. Be involved. I, I love it. Awesome. Great. Passionately pursue what you believe is right for you, your family, your city, your loved ones. But at the end of this, let me tell you right now, God has asked us to declare a message different than red or blue. Come on, different than anything else. He's asked us to declare a message that is way higher and way more sustainable. And at the end of the day, there's only one good news and it's not who's elected the good news. Come on, listen to me. The good news is that his grace is enough. Come on. Come on, let's give the Lord a shout of praise and we'll pray here today. Come on, he's good, he's enough, he's enough, he's enough, he's enough. I love this idea that was written here with Samson. God in his final act says to Samson as his hair begins to grow, that yeah, I gave you a gift and you squandered it. You got wrapped up with her. You messed up, dude. But I love God in his final act. He says to Samson, he says, hey, I gave you that gift, son, because you're my son, not because I thought you were going to steer clear of Delilah. And when he's standing there and his hair begins to grow, it's, it's the beauty of a God who never gives up. It's the beauty of a God whose gifts come without repentance. It's the beauty of a God who comes to fill us up when we don't deserve it. And it's so... like what I said this to somebody on the phone this morning and I'll, I'll close with this for the ninth time I said this to someone on the phone this morning I was they said what are you preaching and I was kind of going through it and I said yeah I said I, I want to say this morning you know that that he is the God whose grace pays that that person who works an entire day just as much as he pays the drunk who walked in 10 till five. You know, there's a parable about that. I didn't make that one up. And everyone says, that's not fair until you're the drunk. 
you gotta pay your rent the next day. Your life's a mess. And you get what you don't deserve, all of a sudden it's, it's fine with you. Let me tell you right now, every one of us in this place will find ourselves in a situation, and many of us already have, where you're gonna need God to do something that seems unfair to other people for you. And that's the beauty of who he is. You're gonna be that woman at the well. You're gonna be that woman caught in adultery. You're gonna be that guy who showed up late for work, still needs to get paid the same. You're gonna be that person. I know I have. And boy, when he meets you, it totally changes your outlook on him and your life forever. Father, we thank you for this today. And let us realize that there's coming a day and an hour Lord, we are in it right now where we must really focus in, not get distracted and pursue your goodness and pursue the message of your grace, realizing that it is something that totally transformed our lives, something that is available to all. God, we put aside our prejudice. We put aside our idea of who we think is worthy and we realize that there's not one among us that looks the way we should. Today, we open not just the doors of this church, but the doors of our heart. To all who will come, we want to hear about the mess we were in and how good you've been to us. Hallelujah. Um, do you hear a, a voice and the voice, I know it's Dan's voice, but I hear a voice in his voice. And it's no doubt, it's the voice and the proclamation that Christ himself is making to humanity today. Come on and put your hands together and give God praise. Now, I want to do this because this is are difficult times. It's been difficult. But I want to say thank you to Dan. Not with money, because I have money and I'll give him the money. Maybe. I got to ask my wife first. Not with money. But it takes guts to say some of the things that he is saying. But he says it with humility and out of brokenness, which to me, I hear it and it's a beautiful thing. So today is Pastor Appreciation Day from what I understand. We never did those things. We just appreciate Jesus. But will you do me a favor and put your hands together and give Pastor Dan a round of applause.
use this congregation and to use these people. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. See you Wednesday online, right? We'll see you Wednesday online at 7 and next week right here at 10 a.m. God bless you.